0: Black Swan events, by their very definition, you don't get over them. They create a new normal, they create a new reality. And you're gonna live in that new reality for the next five or 10 years, if not more. But I certainly think you're gonna live in it for the next five years. So understand that and accept it, because but until you don't, you're not gonna make good investment decisions, right?
1: Hey guys, welcome to the CRE Project Podcast.
2: CRE Project Podcast listeners, thank you for spending some time with us today as we are thrilled to have Neil Bawa on the show. Neil is a technologist turned real estate investor, and he is the founder and CEO of Grow capitalist Investments. They also have an educational arm of the company and you can read or find more information about them at multifamilyu.com. Neil is a financial analyst and powerhouse. He is going to walk us through what some of the impacts of the COVID epidemic are having across the real estate arena, multifamily, asset classes, and more. He provides some great perspective, and we hope you enjoy the show as much as we did. Neil, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, I personally have followed you for a long time. I'm a member of your The Magic of Multifamily Facebook group. And Clayton and I were both on the last town hall that you hosted with Hunter Thompson and Anna and Ben Lapidus. And you always just provide so much value. We're thrilled to have you on here to share some of your insights with our listeners. And with that said, would love to just give you the platform to share with our listeners a little bit about what you're seeing in in your world as a multifamily investor, technologist turned investor, and uh, how we can collectively position ourselves as investors to come out of this pandemic and uncharted time um, on the top of things as much as possible.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, sounds good. So I am a Recovering technologist that has basically taken my technology and data science abilities to the real estate realm, where I find it's actually much more profitable, much easier to apply technology to produce profits for my investors. I'm mostly focused on the multifamily and self-storage and student housing realm. Current portfolio, about $250 million, with about 500 active investors working with me. Uh, the plan was to double that this year. now we we were slowing down a little bit, so we're we're not going to go to five hundred million this year. We're probably going to go to about three hundred and seventy five billion from where we are at two hundred and fifty million. Um, but for the last three weeks, I have, i mean, I, I spend a few hours every day focusing on my properties because right now it's so important to do that. And speaking with my property managers probably five times as often as I was the month before. But most of my time is actually spent not being a real estate guy. Most of my time is spent being a data scientist again. So I'm back to my roots where I'm looking at the data science of COVID. So you can think of me right now as a COVID data researcher. And then, you know I, I can, so I can talk about the, what, what the pandemic is doing and then, then talk about its impacts but I wanted to start off by apologizing for my hairstyle. As you can see very clearly, my hair has now stopped obeying my comb. Yeah. And so, from now onwards, this is my last interview where you get to see my hair. Beyond this, I'm gonna have a metal helmet on my head, cutting off. Yeah, Quite all right, so I, I have, have the quarantine uh,
2: uh, shave,
0: um, the, right. non-shave job. Uh, okay. I think my hair is on strike at this point. <laughs> it's like I don't give a shit what you're going to do gonna look. Here. <laughs> so we're at that point. So apologies for that. Um, and 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 because my kids are running around, I have a virtual background behind me. Kids doing all kinds of crazy stuff behind me with with nerf guns. And I kid you not, about 10 days ago, I was on a podcast and all of a sudden I'm hit by a dart on the left <laughs> side, on my left temple. And I'm like, okay, things need to change here. And then, then I saw uh, the spot that um, that one of the, the night daily, daily show presenter, you know, he did. And, and his kid actually just crawled into his lap while he was interviewing, you know, Jennifer Lawrence. And I felt better about that. I was like, okay, everybody's got the same problem.
1: What's so fascinating is you would have never thought four months ago, you would have been saying that exact thing. I mean,
0: I know it's, 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 we, so one of the first things that I encourage everyone that's listening to this podcast to understand is that please understand that we are in a new normal. There's a lot of people saying, this is like a hurricane. It comes and it goes and that's just complete bullshit. Right? So this is a true black swan events and black swan events by their very definition, you don't get over them. They create a new normal. They create a new reality. And you're going to live in that new reality for the next five or 10 years, if not more. But I I certainly think you're going to live in it for the next five years. So understand that and accept it. Because until you don't, you're not going to make good investment decisions, right? Why is it a new normal? Well, the damage that we are doing to to the US and to the world economy is catastrophic. Right. So understand that it's catastrophic. And a good portion of it is short term, but a lot of it is long term. Right. So, um, you you know, one example I want to give you that you haven't been hearing about in the in the economy and on CNN. CNN doesn't like giving any any space to oil because, you know, they're fundamentally like uh, renewable energy like me. But you've got to look at the oil market to understand just how bad the, the damage is. There are actual articles today that people that are pumping oil out will pay for the oil to be carried away three weeks from now. They will, wow. they will not make any money. They will pay two bucks or three bucks so that the oil can be carried away because you can't cap oil wells in a day, It takes several weeks to, to, to cap them, which means that oil is gonna be gushing out of the ground. So you need basically somebody to take stuff away. And they've also pointed out that most of the world's super tanker fleet is now the world's super storage fleet right? Wow. They can't deliver anything because there's no demand. Demand's just fallen off a cliff. And, and when we contrast that, that demand cliff going down to 2008, it's like 2008 was nothing. Like the world's demand is already down 20% of oil. And people say oil is so inflexible that even when you have a recession, demand drops by 2%, right? Because it's inflexible. People still have to go, go somewhere, except now they don't. And so now we have oil demand down by 20%. Today, you know, Brent crude is is at somewhere around 20 bucks a barrel and heading towards, so I want to share some data with you guys about this. So you can tell I've been I completely immersed in this because my business, the future of my 500 investors is truly dependent on whether we beat this thing or it becomes Armageddon. And and the, the answer right now is, oh, there's no doubt in my mind that we're going to beat this, thing, no doubt at all. And I'll, 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 I'm going to show up two slides to the people that are watching this, but don't worry if you're listening to it, you know. Uh, I will, I will walk you through the slides all the same. So let's go. Let me know when you guys can see PowerPoint. Okay. All right. So i want to show you how negative I was 10 days ago. So you're going to see, so what, what we're seeing on the slide deck is we're seeing a slide which shows a green graph, a green line running from left to right, and then a blue line and the green line is the U S And you can very clearly see this graph was made on March 22nd when I was very negative about whether we could beat coronavirus or not. Okay. And why? Because on this graph, you see the U.S. daily infection rate, right? The percentage change from the previous day to the next day. How much did cases grow by? And and on most days, on this green graph, we're seeing uh, rates grow by 30% from the previous day, 30%, 37, 44, 49, 41. And the overall rate of daily growth is in itself increasing. And that was very, very scary. And this is March 22, so it's 11 days ago. That was very scary because if that rate stayed on the same delta for 30 more days until the end of April, two thirds of the United States is infected, two million to eight million Americans die. Mm. okay but march 22nd was when we really started going forward with shelter in place so before march 22nd one state california my home state had gone into shelter in place but nobody else had done that and then all of a sudden the domino started falling and, and in the last 10 days we've gone from one state to 31 states and and even in the 19 remaining states most of the major metros are already in shelter in place it's just not the the entire state hasn't done it and and then i'm looking at italy In the line below, and Italy shows a clear, distinct downward trend since they implemented shelter in place on March 2nd. So you see the blue line, you see that downward trend, and I'm looking at it going, we shouldn't be crying tears of blood over Italy. Italy should be crying tears of blood over us. That's what this graph showed me. And the, and the fact that we were giving so much attention to why Italy was so bad and we were so good was stupid because the media doesn't understand exponential returns. They didn't understand that we were in a war- vastly worse place than Italy was because Italy's deaths are already occurred and ours were all in the future. Now I wanna show you what this graph looks like today and you will immediately, immediately see just how awesome shelter in place is. Here's today, US, Italy. Wow. And you notice that both of these graphs are identical. Both are now on the same downward trajectory and a very rapid downward trajectory, right? Imagine our trajectory was going upwards and now it's going downwards. And you notice that our trajectory and Italy's trajectory is the same, mm. even though yeah, we actually easy. haven't enforced a military-based quarantine. We've done a best effort quarantine and it's it's still, you know a you know, we're telling people to do it. We're not you know, shooting them if they come out of their houses. But still, do you notice, do you look at the last eight days and look at that rapid decline? Almost every day there's a decline in, in our growth rate. And this is happening despite the fact that 20, 19 states in the union are still not in lockdown. But even in those states, people started listening to Dr. Fauci. Even in those states, people noticed that Trump had changed his, his, what he was saying. He, he's now be, being much more aggressive. And that was enough. That was enough to take us on the same path as Italy, roughly 11 days behind Italy, where they are. So bottom line is the data, and this is not being discussed in the public media, which irritates me, but I realize that CNN, if they start talking about this, people are going to turn their TVs off and they're having the best month in their history yeah. in terms of, you know, everyone turning on CNN or Fox News all day. But in about 10 days, they'll be forced to look at this data and acknowledge it and say, yep, you know what? we've got the same slowdown slow as, as Italy does, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so, but now, by the way, I didn't, I didn't extend the Italy side of this, but they've gone down to 4% today, right? So if I worst, you know, I didn't have the time to do that. I just did the US, but I didn't have the time to show you that Italy is down to 4% today, which means that the Italian government is likely to lift their restrictions within 15 days. They've made a tremendous amount of progress. And in 15 days, life is gonna look fairly normal in Italy. The problem of course is, and, and by now everybody knows this is, the moment we lift it, the, the virus comes back, right? So, so we are now, the United States is now in the hammer phase and you can see the hammer phase here. And there's two phases to this. It's the hammer and the dance, right? We are in the hammer phase. In 15 days, Italy will leave the hammer phase and go into the dance. The dance is where you dance with the virus. You know, it's not dead. You know, it's there. You know, it's still circulating, but you have to reopen your economy. Otherwise you get financial Armageddon, right? So what you do is you dance with it. And you keep some restrictions and you remove the others. You, you get clever, you start testing people for immunity. If they test for immunity, you give them something known as a passport. The Brits are calling it the passport. You give them a piece of paper that says, I can leave my house, it's perfectly fine. I'm, I'm immune, I'm not infecting other people. And so each month, the number of people with passports increases. So you reopen the economy to those. then you'd open by age. You say, older people, I'm sorry you have to stay in because the hospitals are filled with older people. There's a lot of talk about young people in hospitals but predominantly the people that need more care are people over the age of 65. We can't forget that. So we've got to be clever. And what we are going to do is the world, each country is going to learn from the previous country. Right now, there's only one country in the world in the dance phase, and that's China. Economy open, Apple stores open, malls are open, people are shopping. People are buying $600 gift, you know, the, the, you know um, bags for women. All of that stuff is happening in the Chinese economy, so they're in the dance. But they're also very afraid yeah. that the virus could come back. So each day, the China Chinese have divided their economy into pieces, and they're looking at each face, say, piece, saying, "Should I remain keep this piece open?" So that what the U.S. economy is going to look like in June and July is this: you're going to have the economy gradually reopening. Schools will probably stay closed at this point because, you know, we we were getting to summer. So schools will probably stay closed through summer. But the remaining portion of the economy will start to open in June and may open sooner. Look at how sharp this curve is compared to 10 days ago. So some parts might open sooner. I know California and and Washington state might open sooner because they are ahead of this curve, right? Because they, they were first. So we are not seeing a lot of cases in the San Francisco Bay Area because we were the first part of the United States that went into shelter in place five days before California. So we're not seeing a lot of cases at all. Right. People are wondering, where is this surge? Right. That's what people are saying in the Bay Area. Where's the surge? There is no surge. Well, that's because you shut down early. So you, you, you flatten the curve much, much better. So in June, the U.S. looks like that. It looks like this odd sort of place where the only way to describe is imagine, a hurricane. You know how hurricanes hit like Miami or Houston, and they shut down the Houston economy. But the rest of the world, the, the U.S. economy is functioning. Now imagine there being four hurricanes in the U.S. every week. And there's going to be four different cities, and I don't know which cities they're going to be, that are going to be hit. And there's going to be a surge, and they'll lock those cities down for 15 days, but they'll leave the rest of the U.S. open. Yeah. And then 15 days later, those cities reopen and then lock down another part of the U.S. That's far less damaging. And I think that because Spain and France and Germany and UK will be in the dance with us, the world will figure out how to do the dance well, right? Yeah. And we'll bring our economy back up. And so when people say we'll, we'll have a V-shaped recovery, it's actually not a, a V-shaped recovery. So here, I'm gonna draw something on the screen and I'll describe it for people that are doing audio. So in a V, you go down really, really sharp, and then you go up, but imagine the V not going all the way up. It comes up to this point, which is June, and then we, we recover the rest of the V, we recover more slowly over the next three years, right? This is three years out. And so that's what our recovery is likely to look at at this point. Anybody who thinks we're going to be a U-shaped recovery at this point is not following the data. It's going to be sharp V down, sharp V up, but not all the way up. And that's what our recovery looks like today. And that, we're everything that. that I believe is based on this premise. And the data right now overwhelmingly supports this kind of a weird V, V.
1: So, so, Neil, if I may ask, in your opinion, what is the other side of the V? Is it 50 percent? Is it 60 percent where we're at? I mean,
0: I, I think we go more than that. I think we come up about 60 or 70 percent. So if the economy was a 20 trillion dollar a year economy or, or let's just simplify it and say if the U.S. economy was a two trillion dollar a month economy. Yeah. We're going to come up to about 70 percent of that. So that's one point four trillion. And then each month, we're slowly going to move towards getting back up to, to, to that $2 trillion mark. But that process is extremely slow because the real damage that we've done to certain sectors like the airline sector, the hotel sector, and the retail sector, those are areas with long-term damage. So there's, I'm going to bucketize each sector and tell you the long-term, the mid-term, and the short-term damage. Right. Apartments and, and single-family rentals, short-term damage okay? Industrial, no damage whatsoever, significant long-term boost because our just-in-time methodology of keeping just four days of food and four days of toilet paper and four days of wipes, it's gone, gone for the next 10 years. People are not going to be stupid enough to keep four days of stock in the U.S. anymore, which means we need a lot more logistics. We need a lot more warehouses in the U.S. We need a lot more storage space. And so, the industrial sector sees a five-year boost, right? So they're the gainers. The medical office sector sees a five-year boost. For five years after 9-11, the industry that did the best was the security industry, correct? So they got a five-year boost. And they just hired a bunch more people and the industry became a lot bigger. Cyber terrorism, terrorism, those areas got big boosts. Well, the medical office industry is going to get a boost because we have to create a mass new, massive new infrastructure of immunology that did not exist in the US but did exist in Singapore. It did exist in South Korea and in Hong Kong because they were hit by SARS and MERS and we were not. And so they created that infrastructure. They paid for it already, yeah. right? And they benefited from it this time. And you see how their, their, their outbreak is very small. You, you know that at no point did South Korea implement shelter in place. And look at the screen. We're still at 14%. They're at 1% every day. Yeah. Why? Because they built an infrastructure from SARS and MERS. And we're going to build it now. And as a result, the medical office sector is going to do really well. So on the plus side, you see there, short-term hit, single family, multifamily. A lot of people were saying 70% of tenants are not going to pay, pay pay rents. Well, we are on the 3rd of April. I can tell you that was nonsense. <laughs> we are seeing some of our properties where people are, you know, we've, got, we've seen 10% delinquency in some properties and 20% in others, but that's just because people haven't received their paychecks from the government. This free money, the billion, tens of, or hundreds of billions of dollars of free money hasn't actually reached them yet, but still 70%, 80%, 90% of our tenants are paying rent. So our hit is now definitely short term, right? And
2: so Neil, a question for you is kind of a two-part question. <clears throat> you had mentioned earlier in the interview that there may be some long-term trends, so, so, you know, social trends, the way that people operate on a day-to-day that change as a result up to, up to this Black Swan event. What are some of those trends that you anticipate seeing moving forward And how does that um, translate or interface with how you're going to underwrite future opportunities, if at all?
0: Um, So here's a few trends that I'm going to suggest. I am now in pure speculation mode, so please understand that. This is pure speculation. Number one, you're going to see student housing change from quads to studios because people naturally will change their minds about, I don't want to live in a quad anymore. I don't want to live in a high-density 600-unit student housing. I want to live in a student housing that's 200 units, but with studios. You know, those 250 Mm -hmm. uh, square foot studios that look like hotel rooms, they are going, that portion of student housing is going to see a massive boost, right? Wellness in housing, wellness is a sector in our housing that's very small and we've seen a lot of it in the last five years. Units that are well designed, properly designed for wellness. And there's, you know, maybe we do another podcast on what that means. You're going to see a boost there. Um, You're going to see the, there being a change in the way that we do Airbnb, Airbnb, certain portions of Airbnbs were being sold where multiple people were in the same property. That's not going to work anymore. Nobody will want to be have rent a room in a property. Those people will take a big hit. You know, people will want to rent a home and then there's the Airbnb people are going to have to raise their rents because they're going to have to show that they're cleaning their homes a lot. Right. So you're you're going to see a temporary reduction in Airbnb, which may last more than three to six months. It may last until we get a vaccine. So let's talk about, you know, um, so same thing with senior housing. I think senior housing takes a big hit. Mm -hmm. Would you put your grandma right now in a senior housing home with 130 seniors and this enemy circulating in the hallways? No, a lot of them are empty. People have gone there and, and taken their parents out, even though they're probably paying rent at this point in time. So senior housing takes a big hit until the day we develop a vaccine. And then that industry bounces back very quickly. But I don't think a vaccine is coming in two months. I think the dance happens for a number of months before we get to a vaccine, and could be a number of years, by the way, because you don't really know when you develop the vaccine, right? It's, it's just a big X, X factor. So in my mind, what, what ends up happening is that until we develop the vaccine, senior housing takes a huge hit. You'll see a downward trend there. You'll see a downward trend for all kinds of um, assisted living facilities because people will be afraid to do that. Um, retail you'll see that the retail industry is going to crash and burn and may not recover in in the short run, simply because that industry was already under a huge amount of distress because of Amazon before any of this ever happened. And because they were under distress because they didn't have a lot of cash. I think that this is going to accelerate their downfall. So you're going to see a a lot of bankruptcies in strip malls. You're going to see a lot of bankrupt bankruptcies in full size malls. So you'll, you'll see those trends. offices, are a big X factor. We don't know if people will want to come back or will they continue to do you know, work from home? Because now people, you know, companies built the infrastructure, 6,000 companies signed up for Slack in a week, uh, 50,000 companies signed up for Zoom in a week. Are those companies going to just give up their licenses or will they say, you know what, let's just change the way we do business and reduce the amount of office space we use. It's a huge right. cost to us where Zoom is cheap, right? So in my mind, There's going to be a a short-term hit to the office sector that's going to be pretty bad, but I think that there is a long-term 10-year, 15-year hit to the office sector that cannot be discounted. That cannot be discounted. I don't think every single company just says, oh, you know, I I fell in love with Zoom, but I'm just going to go back to the office. Here's the biggest sector that hurts the most. There are traditional offices with cubicles, And then in the last 10 years, a certain percentage of office space was changed where they destroyed all those cubicles and went to open form offices. That people will hate. Nobody will want to go back to an open office with 200 people sitting with no separation. Cubicles are going to make a huge comeback. There'll probably be glass cubicles so that they don't block the light. But but if you're a cubicle manufacturer right now, you cannot wait for the economy to reopen because you're going to have more orders than you know what to do with. Those are some trends that I see coming into uh, into our, our space you know going forward and, and and I think that there'll be more there'll be changes in the way that hotels do business there'll be changes in the way that airlines do business. This is a new normal so each month we 're going to figure out oh this industry has to change the way that it does business, and some industries will never come back to normal here 's an industry that I think will never come back to normal. The oil industry hmm. has been so utterly decimated in the last 30 days that it becomes a shadow of itself. So we will now consider the oil industry to be pre-corona and post-corona. Wow.
1: And what I'm just I'm just curious, Neil, on your side, what do you feel like um, you know, specifically, and you covered office really well, but as far as retail Mm -hmm. goes, I mean, what would you tell a lot of the retail landlords out there right now? I mean what could they, <laughs> what, what would you say to them?
0: Uh, I don't have a lot to say to them except to say, hang on for dear life. Because if you think that by the U.S. reopening in May or June, all of your customers will come back and start paying, you're going to be in for a rude shock. So your, li- your cash flow is going to be upside down at least for the next six to nine months. Yeah. So we hope for your sake that you had operating reserves right? We were counting our operating reserves until we saw this graph, which is on the screen in front of you. Until we saw this, we were terrified. And so we were counting our operating reserves. And we, we most of our properties, if we had no rents for nine months, we were still fine, right? Mm-hmm. And, and we were offered deferred, deferment by our, our lenders very, very quickly. And, and for multifamily, because you're not really an operating business, the, the mortgage is really the big cost, right? So mortgage taxes, insurance are the big cost. And we had deferment there. Retail's not like that, especially if it's retail in a nice place, you have a lot of other costs. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of overhead costs. There's a, there's a bunch of costs that you have to have even if your tenants are not paying. Otherwise, you'd have to shut down your building, right? There's a lot of security costs as well that malls have, uh, parking costs. So that sector is going to be hurt. So here's my message to investors instead. Even though I am not in the business of malls and strip malls, I can tell you the best deals that you're going to get are going to be in malls and hotels in Q3 and Q4. So if you want to buy hotels, you're going to get incredibly cheap deals. If you want to buy strip malls, you'll get incredibly cheap deals. And I think that the price that you will get there will not be the deserved price. It'll only be there because of distress and defaults and you know, the market going negative on that asset class. So there'll be some deals there. Will I be presenting those deals to my investors? Probably not. Because I I fundamentally have, the world has seen something very important, Clayton. I want to say this, and I want everybody to recognize this. The biggest lesson that coronavirus has taught us is that there are need-based categories and there are want-based categories. Need-based categories on on the real estate side are multifamily rentals, single-family rentals, self-storage. You need them regardless of whether you have corona or not, right? And, and one other category that's very important that is going to get a huge boost is single tenant retail, where the, the retail is anchored by a grocery store. Yeah. Right. Because we saw that every grocery store in America is hiring right now. I mean, Walgreens fifty thousand, you know, Costco hundred thousand, Amazon two hundred thousand. I mean, anybody that had anything to do with groceries is hiring. Our mindset's going to change that if you have a single tenant that's anchored by large grocery, that has to be a lower cap rate right? And so that's the one type of retail that's going to do phenomenally well going forward. So my message is for investors is you've now seen that cap rates for need-based assets, single-family rentals, multifamily rentals, grocery stores anchored, and self-storage have to be lower than we've given them credence for. And cap rates for assets that are want-based assets, hotels, high-end retail, have to be higher. Yeah. right. They have to be worth less than you thought they were because yeah. they can be shut down. The key thing is this is not the only pandemic. Now researchers are telling us that because of the way viruses have changed and because of the way that, that the world is now one commingled place, we get a pandemic every 10, 15 years, yeah. right? And, and, and hopefully we do better on the next pandemic, but it will still result in a shutdown. Hopefully next time the shutdown is quicker, yeah. and it's it's less severe we maybe don't shut down the entire us we shut down parts of it but it's going to come again and it's again going to affect the retail guys the hotel guys the strip mall guys a lot more than multifamily i got 100% of my rent for march yeah right well, not not it's, a lot of yeah not a and, lot of and you do, can say that. it's just, and i'm 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 entering april with over 80% of my rents already right yeah it, how do you compare that to retail? I think the world has changed.
1: Yeah, and I guess and we wanna be respectful of your time, Neil, I guess just to close it out, because we know that you gotta get going here, but what's one thing that you would tell every real estate professional, whether it's a broker, uh, developer, investor, what's something that they can do that you feel they can do right now while we're, again, kind of in, in in the middle of this storm to be proactive for the recovery?
0: So if you're, if you're an active investor, start talking with people in the marketplace because your opportunity is going to come in Q3. So if you've been waiting for years for the market to moderate, here it is. Q3 is, is only three months away. Don't wait until Q3 because then you won't get access to deals. If you're a passive investor, it's time for you to keep some powder dry because there's going to be a lot of projects that are going to come by that are going to benefit from this downturn. But but you're gonna see a huge increase in equity in the first six months, which we didn't see in 2019 or 2018. Here, we're gonna buy something at a certain price in Q3, and by Q1, those projects will be worth millions more, right? This is not the time to freeze. It is the time to look at the marketplace, understand that there's a lot of opportunity coming your way, and be patient and wait for it until Q3.
1: And, and just to finish, how, how big of a correction do you forecast? From a price. Depends
0: on the asset class. I mean if, if it's single family, multi-family, I, I think mine, it's minus it minus ten percent. If it's re you know, retail and hotels, maybe minus thirty to minus fifty okay. percent. Um so it depends on your asset class. If it's storage, it might be like minus five percent.
1: Got it. Well, uh can't thank you enough for taking the time and, and obviously again we wanted to have you on the show just because you're known for for being extremely analytical and data-driven, which, you know, uh, thank you for bringing some positive news uh, regarding...
0: Uh, <laughs> I'm happy to be able to share positive news because I've been <laughs> sharing <all> <laughs> negative news since the beginning of this thing.
2: Yeah, and Neil, as you alluded to earlier in the show, you know, maybe we can circle back around with you somewhere down the road and have you back on and just kind of recap everything in, in a few months because... Love yeah, that.
0: I'd love that. I, I'd like to do that when the dance phase begins. So you'll start hearing about it when the when the dance starts. I'd love to be back on the show and and talk more. Uh, in the meantime, between now and then, um, I am doing a webinar or a town hall about you know these sorts of updates every week at multifamilyu.com. That's multifamilyu.com. My weekly webinars will cover every asset class in the industry, all real estate asset classes, and for the first time. We're going to cover asset classes outside the real estate industry, because over the next three or four months, certain interesting asset classes will make a lot more money. Um, I gave you an example, um, you know, that that industrial will do well, but there's actually asset classes outside of real estate that are going to do phenomenally well in the next six months. We're going to cover them, too. So weekly webinars and town halls—one webinar a week, one town hall a week—at multifamilyu.com. So check those out.
2: And listeners, just to clarify, that's multifamily and then the letter u.com. The letter
0: u.com, and, and we'll put that in the show notes as well. So
1: thank you so much, Neil. We greatly appreciate your time. Thanks so thank much. Bye bye. Hey, listeners. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you feel someone within your network would benefit and learn from this podcast, please feel free to share this or any other episode with them. If you feel you have benefited from this podcast, please leave us a review on any platform where you listen to podcasts. We greatly appreciate your support and feedback, and we look forward to connecting with you on the next show. Until then, stay healthy, stay safe, stay educated.